Are you ready to live the life you were made for? I'm Lisa Pulliam, founder of More To Be, host of this podcast and seasoned life coach. And I am passionate about helping you experience wholehearted breakthrough and authentic life transformation. Through exploring timeless biblical principles combined with the best mental health coaching practices, I'll help you discover what emotional, spiritual, and relational well-being truly looks like. I do believe that you can uncover a life of deep purpose and lasting impact. That is the more to be life you were made for, a life aligned with God's best. The more to be podcast is supported by our Patreon podcast community. You can become a valuable member and get access to exclusive downloadable resources, courses, and coaching at patreon.com slash more to be. On this episode, I am joined by Maisie Robinson, a licensed professional counselor in Atlanta, specializing in helping women discover their true voice as they navigate women's issues, healthy relationships, self-worth, personal growth, development, leadership development, living with purpose, life stage transitions, and motherhood. And I am excited that she focuses on so many things because that's what we're all about at More To Be. Maisie is a graduate of Vanderbilt University and has a master's degree in professional counseling from Georgia State University. She is a certified professional counseling supervisor. Prior to becoming a therapist and a speaker, Maisie taught history at Marist School in Atlanta, Georgia. And Maisie and her husband, Jay, are proud parents of Jack and Sam. And so welcome to the podcast, Maisie. I'm really glad that you're here with us today and we get to know each other. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to uh, to have the opportunity to chat. Yes, me too. And we've been really trying to look at what does it mean to embrace God's truths and promises for ourselves and live in that. And in order to embrace, we what do we have to let go of? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. You are speaking my language there. Yeah, yeah. I had a feeling we were speaking the same language. And I, I have been quoting quite often Brené Brown's work uh-huh. on shame. And yeah. uh, the coaches, the more to be coaches are really digging into Kurt Thompson's work on mm-hmm. shame, mm-hmm. Uh, his book, The Soul of Shame and, and, and others. And so I would just love for you to kind of Start by helping us understand who you are, how you got to this place, and then we'll see where it goes. If we can really dig into what does God have to say about about this process of healing and emotional health and wellness? Yes, yes, yes. I love that um, direction. So I'll I'll tell you my story and I'll try to make it quick. Um, <laughs> so I am a licensed professional counselor. I have been practicing counseling for 15 years. Um, I do have a journey, a story to getting to this place in my life. In a quote unquote former life, um, I was a classically trained lyric soprano. I majored in vocal performance in college Mm -hmm. at Vanderbilt. And throughout college, I struggled off and on with some performance anxiety and it would just kind of come and go. Um, And then after graduation, I went to Florida State to get my master's in voice. And at the end of my first semester, I came home at Christmas and I was just burnt to a crisp. I was depressed. I was anxious. Like I didn't want to eat. I was, I was just a mess, really just a shell um, of myself. And I told my parents, I said, I don't, I don't want to go back. I want to leave music. And I had been studying music 
pretty intensely since I was seven years old. So music was not just a hobby. It was not just a major. It was my complete identity. It was, Mm. you know, everything in my life was tied to being a performer. And so I said, I I don't want to go back. I want to leave grad school. I I don't want to be in music anymore. And so at first my parents said, well, in this family, we get our masters. So we think you should go back. And I was like, okay. And so then a few days later, um, I can still picture it. I was sitting in my parents' um, living room in my dad's blue chair and my dad came home from work and he said, you know, I was thinking about it. You have no marketable skills. I was like, I know the world does not care that I can sing Mozart. It, it does not translate to a lot. <laughs> in yeah. real life. And he said, so there's no point in you finishing this degree. And he said, you can come home, but you need to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And I was like, done, I, I will do that. And so uh, a few days later, I went back down to Tallahassee. I withdrew from school. I moved out of my apartment. I moved back to Atlanta. I moved into an apartment. And I enrolled at a university here in Atlanta to get my teaching certificate in secondary social studies, because I thought, what is the complete opposite of wanting to be an opera singer, a high school history teacher? Oh, my Lord. (laughs) And and I thought, this is the most practical job ever. I will always be able to find employment. I will always have health insurance. This is going to be great. And so um, I enrolled in the teaching certification program, and I quickly learned that, oh, I I think I'm going to like being a teacher. And so at the end of that year, that was at the start of 2000. And so at the end of the year 2000, my advisor emailed me and she said, I was looking through the newspaper. So again, this tells you how long ago, because how often do you look through the newspaper? Dark ages. That's right. (laughs) That I was looking through the newspaper in the classifieds again. Oh, so old. Uh, And she said, I saw that Marist is hiring somebody for January. You you should apply. You can practice answering questions. And I was like, yes, I should apply. I can practice answering questions because I'd never had a real job before. And so I applied for the job and I met with the social studies department head and the academic dean. And they asked me to come back in and teach a class. I'd never taught a day. I'd never taught a class a day in my life. And I taught a class on 18th century social movements and or rather 19th century social movements. And then they asked me to come back and meet with the head of school, Father Kanzen. And I had never met a priest before. And so the entire interview, I was just so distracted and he's now Bishop Kanzen, but I was so distracted of just like, what is your life like? And where do you live? And who do you hang out with? I was just very distracted um, by the whole interview. And a few days later, they called and offered me the job. And so I have always said that um, Marist was one of the great evident or is one of the great evidences of grace in my life because there is no rational reason mm. why a um, Southern Baptist born and raised voice major without a day of teaching experience should have gotten a job teaching history at one of the best Catholic high schools in the Southeast. And so that was a huge turning point um, in my life. And I started teaching in January of 2001 and I loved it. I, I just discovered that I loved teaching. I taught ninth, 10th and 11th grade history. So I was not much older. than Wow. My right, uh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, we were peers in a lot of ways, uh, but I loved teaching. And so fast forward um, a few years. 
I was checking my email in between classes one day and I received an email from the school counselor and she said, so-and-so is about to come into your class. If he seems distracted, just let it go. Don't say anything. Uh, his family's doing an intervention with his father tonight and his father will either have to go to rehab or move out. And my immediate thought was this kid doesn't need to hear about World War II, which is what I was lecturing on that day. And my second thought was, I think that I could do more. And that was really how the idea of becoming a counselor came to me. It was that singular moment. It was that email, that student. And so for the next school year, that was at the end of, of a school year, for the next school year, I really took that next year to explore the counseling field. And I met with different counselors in the area to ask them what their job was like and is it lonely? Are you sad all the time? <laughs> you know, yeah. questions. Um, because I was leaving my secure job that I had figured out years before was the most secure job you could ever have. And, um, and so at the end of that next school year, I left teaching and I went back to grad school. And I knew all along that I wanted to specialize in working with women. And so that has always been my focus mm -hmm. um, in my practice. I am so lucky, so blessed that in addition to working individually with clients, I get to do a good bit of speaking. So I didn't have to give up teaching um, totally. I, and right, right. Uh, and uh, so, yes, so that is how I ended up here. That's kind of my professional story. I have been married for 18 years. Interestingly mm -hmm. enough, I met my husband uh, 10 days after I started working at Marist. And so I, I associate mm -hmm. the story of, of how we met is very much linked to me um, starting at Marist. And so Marist is the big fork in, in the road of my life in so many wonderful ways. But we've been married 18 years this summer and we have two little boys, um, Jack, who's 10 and, and Sam, who is five. Wow. What I'm, I, you know, with the podcast, you can't see my face, right? But like, I'm just smiling because I, I think one of my most favorite things in this world is to hear people's stories. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and the the good and then the bad, right? Yeah. Like, so well, that's probably why I'm becoming a counselor. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I I treasure how God works in our mm -hmm. lives, and so it's so neat to hear your story of like, this is what I was gonna do. Oh yeah. And, and imagine what would have happened if your father had had a different response. Oh, if I had returned to Florida State. And the other piece of this story that I left out, you know, I withdrew from grad school, came back to Atlanta, enrolled uh, to get my teaching certificate. All of that happened in a 10-day period of time, right mm -hmm. at the beginning of January 2000. And also in that 10-day period of time, I broke up with my boyfriend of four years. Whoa. And that relationship had been very unhealthy, very dysfunctional. And there were a lot of wounds and scars to be healed from that um, um, afterwards. But in, in 10 days, my entire life changed except for my name. And, and as I stand back from that now, 21 years later, the thing that I'm always so moved by and just, kind of overwhelmed and awe by is that God wasted none of it. Mm -mm. You know, he, he didn't, he, the years of, of performing, they're not wasted because I'm very, I love speaking. I love being on stage. That's because I have, 
I spent my childhood performing, you know, the years in the relationship and, and my healing and my recovery and rediscovering myself and rediscovering my voice that absolutely informed uh, my desire to work with women, the years of teaching and working Mm -hmm. with families informs my work today. It's just, it's amazing how nothing is wasted if you're willing to surrender it and go through the really hard work of healing. Mm. You know, so, it's, it's a lot easier to stay armored up and, yeah, and defended. But if you're, if you're willing to, to be broken, you can be broken open and, and really reborn into this new life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really feel that's the case with my story. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my brain is going in a hundred different directions. I mean, I'm thinking of Kintsugi again, which we've talked about on the podcast, the Japanese pottery. Uh, Are yes. you familiar with it? Yes. Yeah. Where, where for those who didn't hear this previously, um, the Japanese take broken porcelain and put it back together with gold and consider it more valuable after it's breaking yeah. than before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know, in that regard, you're saying that you can see evidence of God's preparation for where you are today. And I think of Second Corinthians three three, where uh, when God of all comfort will will use us in our stories to comfort those. Absolutely right. And so, y- you very much have a practice that comes out of a care and a compassion and an empathy for others. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that woman who who listens to this and said, "Well, that's Maisie or that's Lisa, mm-hmm. but that's that's not me. There's there's not hope for my story. Mm-hmm. There isn't. I don't have the energy to even think about that right now." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that woman? I think I would say two things. I would say, um, you know, to the person who's saying, "I don't have the energy to even think about that right now." I would say, okay, that's understandable. When we need to rest, we need to rest. Um, you know, e- Elijah sat under the the tree for mm-hmm. for a minute. You know, but at some point, um, we do have to to get up. And one of the things that I really believe with every fiber of my being is that healing is possible. Yes, me too. And and we may not know how that's going to happen. And it may happen in ways and forms that um, are totally unexpected. But I absolutely believe we can all be healed of our wounds. We can all be healed of our hurts. And that I I cling to that truth. I fully believe that truth. Mm -hmm. I fully believe that pain can be redeemed. I don't know that pain has meaning, but I believe that pain can be redeemed. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, people say, well, that, you know, God meant for that to happen. I I don't know if God meant for the car accident to happen, but I do believe the car accident can be redeemed and you can be set free of that trauma and you can glean a lesson from that trauma that will change your life. And when we share the lesson that creates a ripple effect into other people's lives and that gives our pain purpose. And so I, I see it differently than, you know, it was meant to happen, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Me too. But, but I really believe that healing can happen. I also believe healing is really hard work and I believe healing takes time. I believe, um, we, we get better 
we relapse a little bit, we get better. I, I believe it doesn't, it's not always linear and mm. it doesn't always happen the way we think it's going to happen. And I believe that healing requires a lot of surrender. Yeah. It requires really um, an image I sometimes use with clients is, uh, you know, if you, if you bump your elbow, you know, mm -hmm. and anytime we have an injury on our body, our instinct is to cover the injury. Like if I stubbed my toe, it'd be like, Oh my goodness. And I would cover my toe. Right. And in healing, we have to uncover the toe, you know, mm. and because we're, we're protecting ourselves. I don't want to get hit again. So I'm going to cover the elbow or I'm going to cover the toe, but healing requires us to loosen that grip and to let light and truth and love come onto that wound. And it's really hard to surrender our wounds and, and let them be healed. But mm. I fully believe we can be healed and we can be free. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking, um, we just got a new puppy. Oh, uh-huh. 10. She's 10 weeks old. Oh goodness. You're like, of it. <laughs> we're, we're in newborn land and she is probably the most perfect puppy that's ever walked oh. the planet. She doesn't cry in her crate. Oh, she sleeps goodness. in a crate. The only time she's had an accident in the house is because we forgot to take her out because we got so excited playing with her. Uh -huh. I like is she's been amazing and I hope it stays that way. <laughs> uh, and, um, and, and we have our older dog, Toby, who's 10. Oh, uh -huh. and this has been interesting to mm. watch these dynamics. And yeah. God is the reason I'm sharing about these puppies is because what God is teaching me through watching them together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we didn't do our research to think about older puppy, younger puppy, because uh, older dog, younger puppy, because Toby is so easygoing. We didn't yeah. even anticipate and we, we arrive home and we basically take the crate and put it on the ground. And Beckley is her name. Uh -huh. Beckley's temperament had completely changed. And her tail starts wagging like crazy. Mm -hmm. She knew that this was like a furry creature that's mm -hmm. like her and immediately wanted this connected relationship. Yes. Yes. And Toby looked okay until she came out of the crate. Uh -huh. And it's been interesting to watch their dance together. Yeah. So she's always unleashed around Toby. Like we're being really careful when she wants to play with Toby. She gets herself so far to the ground. Her position uh -huh. of submission yeah. is like as flat as ground can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And then she rolls over in total vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. Right. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I do. I love it. And I like, I, every time I've watched it happen this last week, I'm like, Jesus, that's what you're asking of me. Yeah. Uh -huh. Am I willing to get that low down before the Lord uh -huh. and submit in that much vulnerability uh -huh. with that much trust? And the thing is, Beckley May doesn't have any clue that she can get hurt by Toby. Mm -hmm. She has not had an experience in her life that has made her guarded. Mm -hmm. I'm like, girlfriend, that's scary. Don't do that. He's big. He could bite you. <laughs> like, I, I have experiences that make me afraid mm -hmm. for her mm -hmm. or, you know, for myself in that moment even. Mm -hmm. And she, in her precious little 10 weeks of life, has mm -hmm. not been... Mm -hmm shaped by mm -hmm. negative experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and so 
I just keep looking at all that and thinking, oh, how do we heal? How do we become agents of healing in people's lives when we're up against this obstacle of experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so much of the task of adulthood is healing those early experiences, you know, because there, there is a time in life. And for some people, it's shorter than others, sadly enough, but there is a time in life where we have that full trust, you know, that seed has not been planted of, am I loved? Am I valuable? Am I lovable? You know, we just, I'm loved every, you know, there's love, there's love, but then something happens and it can be big or small, but it, it plants that seed and it plants that question mark of, am I loved? Do I matter? Am I enough? And then what happens, what I see happening with clients and, you know, then in my own life is life events just reinforce that mm-hmm. seed and the seed grows, grows into this giant weed that yes. just takes over our lives. And, and I really feel like the, the task of adulthood is uprooting the weed mm-hmm. and getting to that seed and changing the story that we're telling ourselves and getting rooted in the story of truth and, and um, so that we can uh, reclaim our vulnerability and our trust in others and be wise and yeah, and yeah. Healthy boundaries and, and all those sorts of things. Right. But, right. but yes, it, it's amazing. Those, we have those early experiences and they plant those seeds of doubt and questioning and, and the heal, healing, the doubt and the questioning as adults is such yeah. important work. Such important work. Because if we, if we don't, uh, I find we, we struggle to be in relationship with others in a healthy way that God designed Right. And now what I'm really coming to learn through this last year of graduate school and finishing my equine assisted mm-hmm. training is that as Christians, I think we're really good at thinking, okay, a relationship with God is dependent on studying his word mm-hmm. and a relationship with God is dependent on quiet time and prayer. And I do these things to be close to God, mm-hmm. but I don't have an experience necessarily of what it means for God to be close to me just Mm -hmm. as I am. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that part of that hindering is that we don't even know how to just be with ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. understanding that there is a relationship with self that needs to exist Mm -hmm. and this vertical relationship with God that needs to exist. And then when those pieces are healthy, Mm -hmm. then the horizontal relationships become healthier. Mm -hmm. And then it, 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 it's just the whole, I mean, it's wholehearted healing. It's every aspect of the heart, not just one part. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. You know, one of my, um, (laughs) one of, I don't know if it's a soapbox, but maybe it's a soapbox is that um, our emotional and our spiritual health are inextricably linked. Like we, we like to see them at, or, or there's a message out there that they're separate, but they are absolutely linked. You know, you, as I have seen with, with clients, you know, you cannot be emotionally healthy without a sense of uh, power greater than yourself. Um, and, you know, without a sense of God, without a sense of there is a purpose and a plan for my life, without a sense of I am not alone on this earth. And we cannot be spiritually healthy unless we are emotionally aware. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're just using our faith to, to numb our feelings. Mm-hmm. And if you're not emotionally aware, then how do you know what to pray about? 
right? If, if you're not emotionally aware enough to know that I'm feeling anxious, how do you know to, to pray about your anxiety? You know, right, right. God wants us to bring our anxiety to him. Um, so yes, I just, I think they are absolutely linked and that emotional awareness, that self-awareness, it does deepen our relationship with God because we know what needs to be healed and we know what needs to be surrendered to him. And we know what we need to lay down. I, I just, they're connected. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, that's the, the let go and live Bible study that I've been doing this year with the more to be community is built on that principle. Like mm-hmm. we want growth, we want mm-hmm. spiritual growth, but are we willing to also embrace emotional growth at the same time or else we are walking with a limp. I mean, it just is. Yeah. Uh It just is. So I know you've prepared um, a couple of passages of scripture that you were thinking would, would tie in that you wanted to share. Do you want to go there now? And, and um, I know I'm just going based on in order of what you had shared with me, but Ephesians three, you pulled out verses 17 through 19. And so, so kind of set that up and tell us what made you feel led to refer to those, that word. Yes. So I think for me as in my personal work, but also in work with clients, what I have come to really believe and discover is that we have to be rooted and established in the truth that we are loved. And that is, we want that to be our launching pad, so to speak. And, and rooted and established in, in the truth that God's love is so big. It really passes all understanding. We're actually not supposed to understand it. If I understand God's love for me, then my, then I'm making God really small, mm-hmm. you know, that God needs to be beyond my understanding if he is truly God to me. Yeah. And so, you know, surrendering the need to fully understand all there is to understand about God one, but, but also I'm going to be rooted and established in this truth that God's love is so wide and so deep and so high and so long. And, and that he loves me. And when we live rooted and established in that truth, I really believe it changes everything in our lives. Mm -hmm. We no longer are as inclined to chase after approval. Criticism doesn't stick as much. It might still hurt, you know, because we're human, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it doesn't stick as much. Um, We are able to heal from shame wounds. We are able to heal from rejection wounds because yes, it hurts for someone to choose not to love us or be unable to love us. But my lovability is not determined by whether or not you love me. My lovedness is based on a grace is based on grace. It's based on the fact that I am a created being from a good and loving God. It's not based on anything I do or who, who loves me. When we live from this truth that we are loved, I believe that we are more courageous in our lives because mm-hmm. we're less concerned about making a mistake. And then if I make a mistake, I'm worthless. I'm a failure. No, I, I made a mistake. Now, again, that may stink. It's not fun to make mistakes. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. To fail. But I'm not a failure. I'm not worthless 
because I failed. Um, I think when we live from the truth that we are loved, it changes our relationships. Uh, we have a better sense of our the, of the boundaries we need to set in relationships to protect our worth and well-being. We have a sense that I am worth being cherished. I am worth boundaries even being set. We have a better sense of what we will tolerate and what we will accept. Um, I think also we are able, when we love ourselves and we live in the truth that we're loved, we're able to be more empathetic and compassionate to others, you know? Mm -hmm. So often our judgment of others is connected to our judgment of, of self. You know, the more we judge others, that's indicative that we're actually very self-critical. Yes. So I, I really believe it's the launching pad for pretty much everything in life. Yeah being rooted and established in this truth that I am loved by mm. a, a God whose love for me passes all my understanding. Yeah. Amen. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I have beloved on my foot tattooed on my foot because of that, like a, that knowing that I am his beloved enables me to be love yes. to others. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I do for those who are listening, who are not as familiar with the scriptures as as we are. I mean, everybody has a starting point with their reading of God's word. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to read the exact scriptures that you're referencing and give people that piece to sink into. So from uh, Ephesians chapter three, I am going to um, pick up with verse 14 and read down through 21 because I love context. Yes. So when I think of all this. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, which is exactly what you're saying. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we ask, might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I love verse 20 and 21, you know, the whole idea of immeasurably more, like God can do immeasurably more. You can be healed and set free in ways you can't even comprehend. Exactly. You know, um, that is how vast healing can be. He can do the immeasurably more. Yeah. Uh, I, I love those verses um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of it like I've shared so many parts of my story on a podcast and I still get perspectives from people that they think that I've arrived or that they think I, I don't have any problems. Or I have it all figured out. And, and, you know, all I can say is that like the greatest healings in my life have come through the hardest oh, yeah. moments. I mean, oh, yeah. I went through, I went through a really hard season last, last summer and last mm -hmm. fall, my back went out and mm. I was, incapacitated and my back's actually out again as we're recording this. And, and, you know, I, I found myself sitting in the chair and it felt like deja vu to October. And I'm like, okay, Lord, 
-hmm. what more do you want to do in me? Because he brought about such tremendous spiritual healing through the physical pain that was linked to the emotional pain of, of broken relationships and hardships and losses that um, I'm looking at this pain now from the perspective of what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you want to do, Lord? My hands are open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want more. I want more of your healing, even if it means me dealing with more of the pain that I don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and it's interesting timing. Now that I'm actually saying this, I, there's a, are you familiar with Adam Young? Mm-hmm. He's, a, mm-hmm. he's a, I think he's a, just a licensed mental health therapist. He has a podcast uh-huh. and he had a conference. Uh, he's a believer. He has mm-hmm. a conference. I just listened in on, on sexual attachment. Uh-huh. And so he looks at, um, from the lens of attachment theory, which is how mm-hmm. our relationships are formed. Right. Yeah. Um, and how we relate to others. He looks at it from the lens of biblical truth, but also how our sexual relationships are impacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, teaching I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in my one week between grad classes ending and summer classes started, I like camped out on that while playing with the puppy. And, <laughs> and so I, I am thinking, oh, time to go back for some counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, there's some things there that were triggered that, as you said, kind of the elbow, mm-hmm. like I have two choices. I could say, ouch, no, thank you. Yeah. Or yeah. I could say, oh, we've got to deal with this. Yeah. Now that I'm aware. Yes. Yes. And you bring up such a good point that we may not be able to choose what happens to us, but we can choose what we do with it. Yeah. And and you can choose to keep it covered and you can choose to stuff it or deny it. Yeah. Brush it under the rug. But as I often say to clients, eventually you're going to trip over the rug. Yes. (laughs) Or you can choose to uncover it and begin again, the hard process of healing, but what happened may be what wasn't your choice, but, but now you do get to choose and, and stuffing and denying, it never gets us anywhere except more chains. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm walking through something with somebody I, I deeply love. And the, I, I said, you need to get into therapy for this. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is what a mental health professional is trained to help you at. Mm-hmm. And the response back to me from, and this person is incredibly intelligent, mm-hmm. incredibly godly mm-hmm. that, well, how do I, how do I find somebody? Uh-huh. And I said, well, you know, when something breaks or you think you need something new for your home or your toolbox or whatever it is, what do you do? Everybody Googles. I'm like, Google a licensed mental health professional. And then this was a response that really was eye opening. The response was, Well, how do I know I won't end up with some quack? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which kind of crushed me because I'm in the field of becoming a quack, apparently. <laughs> right, right. And I didn't know that stigma still existed. Yeah. Uh huh. And so I want to address that because I think that that is a pervasive, I think this person is not the only person that I know that feels this way. 
No, I agree. I agree. I, I'm sorry. I, I think I cut you off. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. But I think as as much progress as we have made in recent years of lifting the stigma around mental health and, and counseling, which I think that is fabulous, I think we do still have a little bit of ways to go. Yeah. Because I think there is still that thought of like, oh, you know, a quack or oh, I don't want to go see a counselor and they're going to try to dig up dirt on my parents or, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, what have you. And I totally empathize with people who feel intimidated by the prospect of finding a counselor. Yeah. You know, if like I live in Atlanta, if you Google counselor Atlanta, you, you literally get thousands of hits. And how do you sort through it? How do you find mm. the right person? I mean, it is overwhelming. Um, and so that's why I always encourage people to, um, you know, take recommendations from friends and, yeah. and so forth and so on. But even that it's kind of getting over or leaning into the vulnerability of asking a friend, you know, for some people like, I don't want anybody to know I'm going to counseling, you know, yeah. but leaning into the vulnerability of asking a friend, Hey, do you know of anybody? And, and so yeah. forth and so on. But yes, I, I think we still are kind of fighting that battle of, well, what if they're a quack or what if they, yeah. you know, do this or do that. And yeah, it's a challenge. It, it is. And so my, my feedback was, uh, well, you have the discernment of God. Mm -hmm. You you know what you're comfortable with and not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So see see that process of reaching out for a therapist as starting a conversation and mm -hmm. see if it's a, there's a connection. Mm -hmm. If you feel comfortable asking the questions of how are you trained, mm -hmm. what is your philosophy philosophy about healing. Mm -hmm. What do you see as God's part in the healing work? Mm -hmm. How does scripture, if you want to see a Christian counselor, how does scripture become a part of this? And, you know, my one big takeaway from this year of graduate school is that there's more, I think there's more denominations of mental health yeah. practice yeah. theories yeah. Uh, and applications than there are denominations in the Christian church. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And so when somebody's looking for a church to be a part of, they're looking at some major components, like where's the teaching coming from? How is this consistent with the understanding of God's word? What's the worship like? How do the people fellowship? How do they spend time with their, their you know, fellow congregants and outside of the congregation? And you're kind of doing an evaluation mm -hmm. based on what you've learned thus far. Yeah. And so for somebody to find a mental health professional in their state, because that's, they have to find somebody who's licensed in their state. Uh, I would say, ask them, uh, what, what do they do? Cognitive behavior therapy, which is CBT. Do they do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, rapid eye movement desensitization. Do they do, um, you know, somatic learning and, and even look at their credentials, right? And then look up what those terms mean. Right. Right. Because right. Google has that. <laughs> exactly. Google can tell you what the letters mean. All yes. the letters after therapist's name. <laughs> right. And, and, and I'll say this to the entire more to be community. If you're not sure, send me an email. <laughs> yes. And I will, I will say, this is what this means. Mm -hmm. And these are the questions that you can ask. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I, and and, you know, in reading therapists website, do you hear yourself in what they've written, you know, yes. because 
most therapist websites, you know, the therapist has written their approach to therapy or their belief about, like you said, the healing process or the human nature or whatever, or common problems that people face. There's usually something like that on the website. Yeah. And, And what the person has written, do you hear yourself? Do you see yourself? Well, if so, that's probably a good indicator that that therapist is going to be a right fit for you because yeah. he or she is is working with people who are wrestling with the same things that you're wrestling with, yeah. you know, yeah. Because yeah. there is nothing new under the sun, right? There is nothing new under the sun. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Is, it really is amazing. You know, I, in my practice, I see women across the adult lifespan and 23 year olds are wrestling with the same thing that 73 year olds are. It, it really is amazing. It is. It is amazing. It absolutely is. Well, I know um, I just wanted to touch on these last two verses that you have for us. So yes, uh, let's flip to Romans eight, which we have studied in depth uh, Mm. this year already. So I love being able to kind of go back in um, and tap into what we've already looked at. So Romans 8, 38 through 39, for our listeners are probably going to remember this. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So this verse is actually what I consider to be my life verse. And so I love this verse. I adopted this verse um, in my um, early 20s as I was going through a real healing season and growth season. And um, the reason I love this verse so much is just those beginning words, nothing can separate us. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we wrestle with shame, and we all wrestle with shame, it is a human condition. When we wrestle with shame, when we wrestle with the feeling, the fear of not being enough, of being flawed, and therefore unworthy of connection, that's Brene Brown's definition of shame. One of the things that shame likes to convince us of is that we are unlovable. Mm -hmm. And then shame likes to really work on our relationship with God and that whatever, whatever we have done or not done or said or not said, shame likes to convince us that um, we are separated from God mm-hmm. because of that, you know, shame is an enormous hurdle. It's an enormous separating piece between us and God. Cause shame likes to convince us that again, that we're not loved, mm-hmm. that we're not worthy. And that was so much a part of my work in healing at that time of recognizing, wow, whatever mistakes I've made, whatever choices I have made, yes, shame is trying to convince me of this lie that God has stepped away from me, that, that I have drifted so far from God, there's no ever coming back. I'm just going to have to like soldier on through life by myself. Shame likes to convince us of those lies. But the truth is that nothing can separate us from God's love nothing. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that truth is such an important one when we are working to heal 
uh, shame wounds, when we're working to heal regret wounds Mm. of, yes, I may, perhaps I made some bad choices and yes, perhaps I made a bad decision there. And yes, I made a mistake and and whatever. And, and maybe those things are objectively true, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't separate me from God. I can't separate me from God. Mm. because his his love is going back to the first verse so deep and so wide and so high and so long yeah for me um yes so I love that that verse is very near and dear to me (laughs) so I love it I love how God will implant his word in our hearts Mm. right and then it's a forever When when it becomes personal it is a you can't take this out of my understanding of who I am and who God is Yes. Uh, And this really ties in with, you have a course that you've created called Uncomplicate Love. Yes. Yes. Why don't you take a moment and then just tell our listeners about that course and what they can get out of that? Yes. So Uncomplicating Love. Love can feel really complicated sometimes as we all know. Um, One of the things, one of the common themes I have been hearing in my counseling office this year is a lot of relationship tension in our lives as a result of COVID and everything else going on in our world. And so love can be really complicated, uh, which in of itself can feel really confusing because we are wired for love. We are wired to love and be loved. And so you would think, well, if I'm wired to love and be loved, my goodness, why is it so hard to love and be loved? Um, and so the idea of uncomplicating love is that when we live from, like I was saying earlier, when we live from the truth that we are loved and that is unchanging fact in our lives, it then uncomplicates love for us. Mm-hmm. We know how to love ourselves and engage in self-love. Um, we know how to lean into vulnerability and ask for help and receive love. One of the things that I often see with women is that we are so, so good at loving others. Mm -hmm. And as much as we want love, we pursue love in our lives. We are actually not always very good at receiving love Mm -hmm. and receiving help. And so, you know, when we live from a place of love, we can receive that love rather than stiff arming the love or thinking we need to earn the love or prove that we're worthy of love. also in the course, we talk about learning to love difficult people. You know, we, we all have those people in our lives that for whatever reason we can't, or we don't want to cut them out of our lives. And so they're a presence in our lives, but they're challenging, they're difficult, or maybe they've even hurt us. And so how do we begin to love those difficult people? Uh, and, Obviously, in that particular class in the course, we talk a lot about boundaries and Good. love and boundaries and how love and boundaries absolutely must and coexist. Mm-hmm. And um, also in the class, we talk about healing the wound of rejection. And again, living from the truth that we are loved and healing that wound of rejection, mm-hmm. grieving the relationships in our lives that could not love us the way that we needed or wanted to be loved. And then in the final, there are five classes in the course. And then the final class of the course, we talk about what self-love looks like in everyday life. And that's really the, the one, two, three of the class. And we talk about this idea of shame reinforcing behaviors versus self-love reinforcing behaviors mm-hmm. and 
And um, are you engaging in shame reinforcing behaviors, behaviors that reinforce that story of I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not capable enough, I'm not loved? Or are you engaging in self-love reinforcing behaviors, behaviors that remind us that we are loved, remind us that we are valued, mm-hmm. remind us that we are we live in and are covered um, by grace. Mm. And so the the idea is that as we learn to love ourselves and receive that grace-based love, it will change our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I, it sounds phenomenal, right? I I had a lot of fun um, putting it together. All of those topics are kind of my, my passion topics. Yeah. um, I loved putting it together and thinking about it and, um, and with each topic, self-love, vulnerability, loving, difficult people, rejection, uh, self-love in the everyday, we go into those, um, concepts. And I talk, you know, I talk about inner child and family of origin, you know, I go deep with, from the counseling perspective, but then there's also a, a, a faith perspective. And I pair each concept with a story from scripture and, mm-hmm. and that scripture application and, and seeing how truly there's nothing new under the sun, because yeah. thousands of years ago, people were struggling with feeling rejected and unloved. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and kind of using the scripture story as a way of bringing the concept to, uh, to life. So I love that we could end on this last verse, which really does kind of speak for itself. It's from second um, Corinthians 12, nine. And he, it says, Paul was writing each time he said, my grace is all your, you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. And I love that. I, I love this verse. And this verse, I feel like really informs uh, a lot of my work with clients. I work, I, I do a lot of shame work with clients. I, well, I work with a lot of shame. I work with a lot of perfectionism and yeah. um, overachieving and performing and all those things that many of us wrestle with. And this verse really just speaks to that. My grace is sufficient for you. It's Mm -hmm. not about how much you do. It's not about your resume. It's not about where you live. It's not about how many kids you have. Your worth isn't based on any of that. Mm -hmm. Your worth is, is, is based on my grace for you. It is a grace infused worth. That's often what I tell clients Mm -hmm. and because my grace is sufficient. My grace is what makes you enough. It's Mm -hmm. nothing that you can do. And, you know, the last part of the verse where he talks about, you know, in my weakness, I'm made, made strong. It's in my weakness where God's strength shines through, um, you know, recognizing again, just setting down that yoke of perfectionism that so many of us, particularly women struggle with that. My weakness is not a flaw. My humanity is not a flaw. I'm human. I heard a great Mm -hmm. phrase last week that so the phrase was this, we are allergic to our humanity. Yes. I've heard that recently too. And I thought, That's a good one that a lot of us can be allergic to our humanity and we get frustrated because we're human and we make mistakes and, and, you know, we slip and, and these things, but instead I think 
seeing that our humanity is simply fact and that's where God comes in and he can do the immeasurably more in our lives Mm -hmm. and, and he can heal us and he can give us the words that we need. He can give us the control that we need, you know, in terms of emotion regulation and so forth and so on. And God makes us strong when we surrender and are dependent on him rather than I am perfect and I'm going to engineer my life. And if I do it all perfectly, nothing bad will happen to me, you know, rather than I am human and that's not a bad thing. And I can't increase or decrease my worth because my worth is grace infused and through my humanity, my natural weakness, God can allow me to do uh, things I can't even imagine. You know, I think about even with myself, you know, my natural personality bent, I I do not have a natural personality for a counselor, you know, Uh like I'm not a super patient person, you know, like I get impatient really easily. Um, I'm not a super patient person. I can run hot a lot of the times. Mm. I like things to go. And being a therapist, you, you need like the opposite skill set. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> you, you gotta be patient and you, you gotta trust the process. And often it's a slow process and, mm. you know, and, and I just see that it's, it's not me. It is God working through me to do the work and I don't have to rely on me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so good. I mean, we could probably talk for another hour, uh, but in the interest of our listeners time (laughs) and likely a puppy who needs to go out to the bathroom an hour later, (laughs) uh, we, we, we're so glad that you can be with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Give us the hope of healing. I feel like is what this is really that there's hope for healing. Yes. Uh, and it's a process. I think that's also a good word too. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. Maisie, would you be willing to um, tell everybody where they could find you? Yes. You can find me on my website, MaisieRobinson.com. You can also find me on my practice website, which is CultivateAtlanta.com. I'm both places. Um, if you are on social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and my handle is Cultivate Atlanta. And I post every day um, psycho ed post, inspiring post, encouraging post. Every once in a while, I try to be funny. Um, <laughs> not always sure how that lands, but I'm I'm there every day posting at Cultivate Atlanta. Nice, cool. And the course website, if they want to find that. Yes. If you want to find that, you can go to cultivateatlanta.com and you'll see on the menu, just go to course and just click on that. And the course is there. And I would love to offer your listeners a um, $5 discount on the course. And you just use the checkout code more to be, and that will um, get you $5 off any purchase. Awesome. Thank you for that. Good stuff. And would you be willing to close this in prayer before Um, I go ahead and wrap? I would be honored to. Awesome. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to chat, to discuss of your great love for us, um, your great um, grace and power to redeem and to heal and to not leave us where we are and to not leave us where we were. And Lord, I just pray for those who are listening, Lord, that you would um 
that you would plant that mustard seed of hope, that mustard seed of faith that, um, that they can heal, that where they are right now, it doesn't have to be where they live forever, that they can be free of those, those questions of, am I lovable? They can be free of the self-doubt. They can be free of the insecurity. They can be free of that yoke of perfectionism. And Lord, I just pray that you will work and you will move uh, in their lives. I pray that you will bless this podcast and you will bless Lisa as she speaks truth and love into so many people's lives. And Lord, we just thank you again for loving us. And uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I am so glad that you are here with us today. Amazing. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been fun. You bet. And thank you everyone for listening to the More to Be podcast. I pray you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and his word during your time with us today. If you're ready to take the next step in aligning your life with God's best, but not sure what that looks like, head over to moretobe.com slash align to take our quiz and find out. I would love to support you in this growth process as a valuable podcast community member. You can become one at patreon.com slash moretobe. You will get access to exclusive downloadable resources, courses, and coaching. May you continue to pursue the life you are made for, a life that is truly aligned with God's best.